Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. We continue in this amazing little book, 2 Peter, chapter 3 is where we are today. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I like the, uh, <clears throat> the pronoun there, your apostles instead of the apostles. It's um, just kind of a, a sweetness there, a, a sense of belonging, a community. And there's not a lot of sweetness in Second Peter, so you gotta take it where you find it. But he's uh, again saying, my purpose is to remind you of things you already knew and to help you think well. We, uh, we know that a lot of behavior begins in the brain uh, that if you're going duh right now, just be aware some people haven't figured that out. There's a modality of psychology called rational emotive therapy, which teaches that if you can change the way a person thinks about something, you can then change their attitude, which then changes their behavior. And in, in theory, it works great. And I've seen it work very, very well in, oh, I don't know how many people, especially when it's linked to a form of behaviorism and there's a contract of behavior. But uh, rational emotive therapy, if you want to look it up, it's, it's not a Christian therapy. In fact, part of its rationale, it says that there are no absolutes, which is kind of ironic since the phrase, there are no absolutes, is an absolute statement. But besides that, Peter's saying, get your thinking straight and the rest will follow. Uh, sometimes people will say, but I just don't feel like. Well, feeling comes after thinking. So if we can address the thinking, then we can often change the feeling. And by the way, it's interesting to me as a former shrink to look at Jesus because he, he came at it from both directions. He would sometimes change their behavior, which was then to change their attitude and thinking. But other times he came at it from their thinking, which would change their attitude and their behavior. So once again, we are hit with the great massive fact that we are all different and we might need different approaches to help us adjust our attitudes because that's what tinkering with thinking or behavior was supposed to do. Adjust the attitude, which is really the steering wheel and the gas uh, pedal and the brake pedal for your, for your behavior. So if we can get that sorted, then great. We should be thinking of wholesome things and this should probably make you remember Philippians 4, which we called God's least law for the mind, where he talks about whatsoever things are pure and lovely you know, that's what you think about. Well, <clears throat> first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Well, now we've hit a sore spot even today. 
There is so many. When I was a boy, the, the preachers constantly preached that this was all, you know, this could be any minute now. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now, there are many senses in which that was a good thing to do, but it was done to terrify or to get people to come forward at the end of a sermon to be baptized or to repent of their sins. Uh, it was it was pushed hard. <clears throat> I can remember being in uh, as a as a boy uh, sitting up listening to the preacher. Thunders outside, lightning's cracking, the lights going on and off, and he's talking about the end of the world. And I was properly terrified. Um, I don't think that's what God intended for ministers to do, but you know, it, it certainly got through to me at some level. There are people today that are just kind of going, it's been over 2,000 years. When do we stop? When do we say, well, his coming is kind of um, metaphysical? You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses had to go that way because they had predicted so often that Jesus was coming back on this date and this date and this date that they eventually had to say, well, he was back. <laughs> you know, hate that you missed him, but he came back in this sense, not in the physical presence sense. I believe that Jesus is going to return and that our universe is time limited. I believe there's a sell-by date that only God knows and that's fine with me. But as I've often said, and you've probably often heard me, I'm not concerned about the end of the world. I'm concerned about the end of me. I think you're concerned about the end of you. Uh, the end of the world's going to take care of itself. God's got that sorted. But every generation from Jesus's till today has said, this is the day, this is the day. So please don't waste your money on prophecy seminars and end of the world books. It's just, they're not helpful and they're not accurate. I think the idea that some of these people have is, uh, well, we're living in special days. We're special things are happening in my special time of life on earth. You know, all of, all of history has now come to bring us here to to me and my special life and you know we're not we're not that special and eventually when Jesus comes back there's gonna be somebody to go I knew it but you know uh, after we've had millions of people saying that they knew it and they didn't you just lucked out you know, God's gonna come like a thief in the night and that rarely includes a bunch of signs that he's on his way so that said I understand how some people might scoff. I get it because Christians have been lining this up and it just keeps falling and failing. Do you remember in the 80s whenever there is a, a book put out, I think it even said 88 reasons why he's coming back, you know, this September, I think it was, and a whole lot of people were really taken in by it. That's, it happens all the time. A Seventh-day Adventist got started because they believed that Jesus was coming back on a certain day and they, you know, they followed this teaching. When that didn't work, they decided they did their math wrong and they predicted another time that didn't work. And eventually they stopped predicting times, but they kept with that religion, which is very interesting to me. You know, again, I'm not here to be their judge. You know, as long as they're okay with Jesus, they're okay with me. And my job isn't to see if they're okay with Jesus. My job is just to be Jesus to them, to love them. Uh, that takes a lot of weight off your shoulders, by the way when you don't have to feel like you have to go around and fix everybody. <clears throat> so people are saying, and I would look upon it 
as a legitimate question. However, the verbs used here uh, indicate it's more of a scoffing, mocking way, uh, uh, almost, almost like the, uh, some of the Jews at the, at the foot of the cross going, well, he could save others, he can't save himself. That kind of mockery. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of the time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That destruction, by the way, means obliteration, annihilation. It does not mean throwing them into a torture pit for quintillions of years of conscience torture. Um, that's um, that's a Plato, uh, an idea we got from Plato that was adopted by the medieval church. Regardless, you don't want to be destroyed by God. You want eternal life. Uh, you want what's next. You want the joy that's coming. We, um, you know, we, we don't really get this argument, but so many people would. And that is, listen, they need to remember it was just by his word things were created. It was just by his word that the flood came. And it's just, all it has to do is say the word. So don't taunt God. Don't taunt him. He will say the word when he wants to say the word, and you want to be in the right team when that occurs. And then verse 8, very famous verse, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about time. And I promise, even though I really love talking about this, I won't talk about it long. Time is movement through space. It is absolutely a social construct that we have to deal with because movement through space has consequences. You know, there are gravity, there are seasons, and on and on. God does not move in time as we do. He is not time bound. He is outside of physics. He's the author of physics, but he is not bound by physics. So for us, something can seem a very, very long time, which is not really a long time. If you don't believe me, have you ever had kids and asked them, would you please be quiet for five minutes? How long is five minutes to a kid? It's pretty long, unless, you take them to, let's say, a fast food place that has a playground. They say, can we play? And you say, yes, five minutes. They go, five minutes? That's not long enough. That's not long. Well, it's according to what's going on. And Einstein, speaking of relativity, used a lot of illustrations and other people said things and attributed it to Einstein. But the idea of relativity is that when you put your hand on a hot stove, that's really, really quick. You know, the, you pull it off, you're done. But spending an hour with a beautiful woman, you're not done yet. It's, a, it's your experience colors your perception of time. And we've all been there. We've all looked at our watches to see, to you know, guess where we were in the sermon or where we, you know, we've all glanced at the program to see how much longer this play or graduation ceremony or whatever has to go. 
because sometimes things seem like they're just zipping right through. At 66, I've got five grands, and as, as I was told years ago, I would experience, I, I do. And that is that the days crawl, but the years flash by. That makes no sense unless you're a human being and you've lived. You know, you can have a <clears throat> terrible headache for a day and a half and think it was just never ending. And then you can be down at the beach or up in the mountains for a week and think, oh, that just wasn't long enough. Peter's trying to get through to them that if we can understand that, think about what it feels for God who is outside of time. And therefore, our way of marking time is not that impressive to him. And if you're looking up at God going, you're being awfully slow on keeping your promises, you need to remember how long he's been at this job and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's gonna keep his promises. And if he says he's coming quickly, then that means in his view. So we just have to figure out how to remain faithful while we're here. What, what choice do you have? Pick going to the wrong team? You don't want to do that. <coughs> he says he's patient with us, not wanting that <clears throat> any should perish. Well, yeah. You see, God's different than us. As I've brought up before, uh, especially in sermons, uh, during the month of March and February, I have um, I've found it fascinating that you can lead people in a Bible study to where they're fine with uh, newer music, instrumental music, they're fine with women taking any and all positions of leadership in the church. They, they've grown to this, they've grown to that. They, they even believe, you know, the Catholics and Baptists got a chance to get to heaven, you know, and I'm saying this, you know, we're, of course they do, that they're, they're opening up and they're opening up. And then when you start explaining to them that their concept of hell is wrong, that's when I have more people leave than any other time. I get emails. Well, that's, that, you've gone too far now. Why? I think some people need hell to behave. Uh, they also need hell to help them deal with people who are mean and brutal. The idea, well, those people are going to be burning for billions of years. That makes me happy. R really? Really? Um, I understand why you say that, but I don't approve of that at all. Uh, God's patience toward the evil is good news for us. For if he is that patient to them, how patient will he be to us? who are pure and innocent, okay, not so much, but we're not him, we're not her. You see what I mean? Thank God for his patience for evil, because that's the same grace that will save you. So he didn't want anybody to be lost. He's gonna give every opportunity for that not to happen. And it goes, but there will be a time, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. I don't know what the end of the world is going to be, the end of the universe is going to be. Certainly it's a fascinating idea. And the Bible is just not, just doesn't nail that down. I've had people really try to nail it down. But I think one of the reasons we can't nail it down is because as the shout will be, time shall be no more. Therefore, this then that doesn't work anymore. 
uh, it is, um, it's going to be a whole new thing. And so some people believe in a redeemed earth will be heaven. Others believe that um, heaven will be off-site somewhere, not in the universe. I don't know. I don't much care. I just want to be with Jesus when it happens. But the Bible, when it talks about here, heavens disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is not meaning a literal conflagration. And, and said, um, remember that in Hebrew, it's a very different language. To turn on the light, you still say light the candle. When you turn it off, you blow out the candle. You still use expressions such as, and then the mountain shake as a sign that governments have, have been shaken up that the stars have fallen from the sky, that's a referral to leaders. And it could be a referral to famous people like Hollywood stars, but mainly uh, Earth's leaders like presidents and kings, they have fallen, those systems have fallen. And the Earth, Moon and the stars means all of the systems, earthly systems that you are used to are taken away. So you can read this as in the universe destroyed by fire, or you can read this as in Earth's entire universe, our entire system will be laid bare and broken and gone. Either way, it's gonna happen. And either way, if you're a Christian, there's no reason to be afraid. So there's no reason for me to yell at you from the pulpit that it can happen at any moment, because you're ready, you're covered. And he says, since, everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now he immediately answers the question, but I think that's one of the best questions that anybody could ask. I can remember walking into my office in Rochester, Michigan, just north of Detroit, and noticing something was wrong. and couldn't put my finger on it at first, and then I realized I had two guitars gone. And my first thought was, well, that's weird. Second thought was, well, maybe the preschool needed them and I just wasn't around for them to ask permission. That's, that's cool. So I went down, nope, wasn't them. Well, I walked around for a while, they weren't in the building. My next thought was, well, maybe somebody and one of the members just needed a couple of the guitars. And that would have been all right as well. After a while it became clear, no, they'd been stolen. Now we used our building. The building was open pretty much every day of the week for you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, for different groups, the support groups for divorce or grief or the like. And so uh, that was fine, but it also meant that we were open to this sort of thing, kind of a drive-by lifting out. And um, the, they were gone. They were gone, baby gone. And some of our, our younger members uh, got really upset about this and they wanted to go search the pawn shops and get the sheriffs and I was going, no, no, let him go, let him go. Because really they're just kindling for the end of the world barbecue. None of the things we have will last and none of the things we own are more valuable than the people. So we'll let it go. I don't make my living off of them. Uh, it's not like they are taking food from my mouth or the mouths of my children. So let's, let's back off. And they never did come back. I, I never tried to find out who took them. It's all right, but it reminded me once again that everything I own will not be mine one day. A dear, dear friend who was a retired elder of a church 
in West Virginia. He and his wife got to a stage where they needed to move from their house. And they moved into, I believe it was a one bedroom apartment, assisted living. Uh, and, but regardless, it was from a house to that. So the, the shedding of goods had to be done. And I remember going to see him and I said, how are you doing Byron? And he looked around and he said, well, I'm glad I don't have a box of matches. And my first thought was, Byron, what are you thinking? And then he said, because I wouldn't have anywhere to put it. And it's just, just his way of saying in a, in a beautiful Appalachian metaphor that he was really adjusting to this shock of all the stuff isn't there now and there's no room to have stuff. Whenever my parents moved into assisted living, they had to shed a lot of stuff. Whenever my dad then uh, developed Alzheimer's, they had to shed some more. Whenever my mom had to move into a different place, we shed some more. And then she's finally moved into what we all want to be her final residence, which is just a mile from us. She had to shed some more. She went down from a um, kind of a one bedroom to a studio. And there are times that she misses her stuff. But as I've watched all of this, I've told my wife, one day we will get rid of all of this. The only question is, will we do it voluntarily or will it be done because we have no other option? That we are now this old, we have to be looked after or that we have died and it's not ours anymore. And therefore, yeah, I used to have, I think 17 or 18 guitars and I think I have 11 now, slowly bringing them down, just keeping the most precious for now, knowing I won't have them forever. So knowing everything will be taken from you, what kind of life should you lead? Well, he answers, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That, that phrase, and speed its coming, has created a lot of um, oh, inquiring minds want to know type things. Uh, Alexander Campbell, one of the founders of what would later become the Church of Christ and the Disciples of Christ and the independent Christian churches, um, he believed that what we had to do is restore worship and to first century style. And he, he never approached it, but he thought he got there. Uh, and restore the church governance and our doctrine to this primitive church and as soon as we did, that perfection then would allow Jesus to return. And so he had a paper he put out called the Millennial Harbinger. In other words, this is the announcement that the millennium is coming. And he kept that going for years and years and years. Well, he did die a couple hundred years ago. And we're still not, the millennium's not here. I don't believe the millennium is what we're supposed to be looking for anyway and I think we misinterpret that entire passage but regardless the point is we should we should just live holy godly lives well are we speeding its coming I don't think that's what the language says there are several manuscripts and several Greek experts push them saying this is really the best reading it says as we eagerly await for the day to come which is a whole different thing I don't think we can change the date that God ends this, Jesus comes back, however it happens, by our behavior. I think that he's got his eye on it and he knows what he's gonna do. 
We just have to live faithful. Then <clears throat> that day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. Again, Judaic speak, uh, you will find this in Isaiah talking about times of captivity. You'll find it in Ezekiel talking about a tons of different times. It's the way that, uh, that Hebrew works. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Well, how realistic is, is that going to be, really? How realistic is it that you and I will be spotless and blameless? Well, I'd say none at all by our own efforts. But since Jesus continually cleanses us from all our sins, it's, it's going to happen. Sure, we work on it. We try to be better. We try to be uh, more Christian, kinder, more loving, more serving, more sacrificing. But it's by grace we are saved. But this is where you should live. Just listen to Peter and, and try. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Again, second time he said this in a few verses. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Well, do we need to even talk about that? Two things. One, yes, Paul wrote some things really difficult to understand. Second one, true. You can grab scriptures and you can weave them around to your own destruction. You can use them to get so fascinated or fixated on one part of the Christian life that you ignore the other parts. You can use them to uh, say, then I do have the right to judge these sinners because the Bible says these are the sins and I'm here to, you know, you can wrestle around with them and you can also wrestle around with them the way that earlier in the book was talked about the scoffers oh look at this stupid story oh look at this what kind of god would do whenever i talk to atheists they like to bring up the terrible stories of rape and murder and genocide and they'll say how can you believe in that god and i say i don't i don't believe in that god at all i believe in the god that brought us christ and along the way we got God wrong a lot, but God was still pulling us through. And you can see, still see God throughout the Old Testament and outside the Gospels in the New Testament. But the Gospels are the center. That's what defines God. Now we go back and read the rest of it. But the scoffing is sometimes hard to take. And I hear it more often than I'd like. Well, let's wrap this up, shall we? Therefore, my dear friends, since you already know this, and it's, again, it's a consistent theme in Peter. You already know, you already know, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Keep the path. Keep forward. Keep moving. Always growing toward God. Always serving your neighbor in love. Always caring. That's huge. Well, 
we will approach another book next week. But for now, we'll shut this down. Even though I've technically got a few minutes, I'm not going to waste your time with filler. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for subscribing and hitting the like bell. Thank you for, um, for sending us contributions. It allows us to do this and that just makes us so happy and we hope it makes you happy too. If you want us to come see you, email us your address and contact info so we can put you on the map or otherwise I'll drive right through your city and not know you're there. All right, info at rsafeharbor.com. Talk to you soon. God bless you.